And good morning. Welcome to Pomo Perspective. I am your engineer at the controls, Alicia Bales, and live via Zoom, we have Chairman Michael Hunter. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And also on the line with us is Matt Simmons. He's the staff attorney for the Environmental Protection Information Center. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, what you got on deck for us today? Well, I was thinking we do a real thorough update on the Jackson Demonstration State Forest and where we stand as a community, a local community, also the tribes in our area, um, including Coyote Valley. And Matt has been working on our end on helping us and the local community try to figure out how to navigate the state system. And it's very complicated on purpose. But Matt, he's become an expert. He's become our expert. And I think it would be a really good opportunity for the locals and to hear an overview on the legal side, but also the community side. And maybe a little bit of legislative if you want to give an update, if you feel comfortable on that, Matt. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, so just for those who don't know, Jackson Demonstration State Forest is a... Hey Matt, fifty-thousand acre state forest that we're live streaming. The area between four. Yeah. So I would I would yeah. turn off your video. Yeah, yeah okay. we're getting a little bit of hiccup in your signal, Matt. Okay, I will move closer to my router as well. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um. All right. Well, since we're live, I'll keep talking. Um. And Jackson was created by state legislation in 1947, uh, which um, was the purpose of which was to demonstrate logging, right? The idea was that California would buy forest land, demonstrate logging, show all the timber companies how it's done. And that legislation hasn't really changed since 1947. Um, and, you know, our my position at, at as EPIC is that that legislation needs an update that we need to change the purpose of this state land from focusing on timber production and demonstrating logging to demonstrating all the other things that we care about, right? Like protecting Native American sacred sites, uh, climate change, biodiversity, recreation. There's just so many other things that our forests are, are good for besides logging. And California needs to be at the forefront of, of demonstrating that. And so when we're dealing with Cal Fire, uh, who currently manages the forest, they can always point to that old legislation from 1947 and say, oh, well, we're, we're just following what this says to do. And like, they have a little bit of a point, although there's enough leeway there that I think they could be doing a lot better job under the current legislation. But then when we go to our legislators and say, hey, we need you to change this, they say to us, oh, why don't you work with Cal Fire? work on it with them, see if they can fix it that way, right? And so both sides are sort of telling us, like, oh, we're not the people uh, who can fix this. It's 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 the other side that's got to fix it. And so what I've been really trying to get our coalition to do, and, and people have been helping out so much with this, is keeping the pressure on both, you know, the executive side, so the, the CAL FIRE and CNRA, which is the California Natural Resources Agency, Wade Crowfoot, 
who both respond, uh, answer to Governor Newsom at the head, and then also keeping the pressure on the legislative side, right? So Senator McGuire, uh, Assemblymember Wood, uh, for folks who live outside of our area, you know, contacting their representatives too, because this is really a, a statewide issue. It, it's not just confined to the North Coast. Um, and my hope is that if we keep up that pressure, we keep going to Sacramento, we keep writing letters, sending emails, you can send an email really easily on the Epic website right now, telling them to stop the logging. Um, we'll make them see that this forest is, is you know, better to be used for other things and that the people of California don't want it to be used for demonstrating logging anymore or not at least just that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where we're at. And, uh, we've got a big rally planned, um, in, on September 28th in Sacramento. This is going to be at the California natural resources agency headquarters building, which they share with Cal fire. So we get to protest outside both their buildings at one time. Uh, and they're actually going to be throwing a bit of a party at the same time that we're there. They're throwing a 30 by 30 kickoff event. Uh, and so for those who don't know, 30 by 30 is Governor Newsom's pledge to protect 30% of California uh, by 2030 to conserve that land, make sure that it's, um, you know, not being developed. And we've been saying, I've been saying for like two and a half years now, why not start with Jackson? It's already state land. You already own it. The state can do whatever it wants with it. Why don't you start by protecting that land, entering into a co-management uh, agreement with the tribes, and making sure that we demonstrate how to do that kind of protection in the best way possible with Native American tribes in Jackson. Um, and we're going to say it again at his little uh, his kickoff event, and I, I hope he'll listen this time because... Uh, it's really, it's really what we need to do. Yeah, just to give a little recap, uh, when did we start? Uh, when did the protests first start? They started before me, Matt, before I met all of you guys. When did? Do you remember when that started? I think I was first contacted by Chad Swimmer in April of 2020. Um, right. So it was right, right around the time the pandemic really started, to give yourself a sense of uh, when this was. How did that conversation go with you and Chad? It was interesting. You know, he was a he was a mountain biker, Colin from Fort Bragg, who who didn't know what a timber harvest plan was at the time. He didn't really understand what Jackson Demonstration State Forest was, uh, and he called Epic because that's our job is to help inform the public about those things and to make sure that you know people can fight this sort of stuff in their backyard if they if they want to. What was he witnessing, Matt, as he's out there in the, riding around on his bike? What is he witnessing? He was witnessing, I think, in particular, the Casper 500 timber harvest plan, where there were these really large, you know, six or seven diameter foot trees uh, marked to be cut right off the trail, right off, like, one of the most popular trails in Jackson. And, you know, I think he had assumed, yeah, he's told me he had assumed that all those trees were protected, that, you know the state of California would never log a tree that big. And so to see that, you know, blue paint, that fresh blue paint on those trees, and then, you know, he goes and looks and he finds like the little, the little thing posted that, you know, you'd bet you'd miss if you were flying by it on a mountain bike. Right. And it says, Oh, part of the Casper 500 timber plant. And he's like, what's that? Right. 
it's not an easy uh not an easy thing to figure out if you're just getting used to it like how many californians have heard of the caltrees website where you can go and look up a timber harvest plan even if you have heard of it it's not a very easy website to navigate right you gotta like really know the timber harvest plan number or the name and the dates it was issued and um you download these like poorly scanned pdf files of the plan that are like really hard to read and not searchable um california does not want you to know what's going on in our forests uh and that's true of our state forests like jackson and it's even more true to some extent of our private forests um so yeah that was that was what our first conversation was about like we helped chad look up all those documents so he could at least know what he was facing uh we talked to him about sort of the legal reality of, of how and when you could file a lawsuit. Um, unfortunately, all those plans had been submitted uh, a few months before and approved. And so we had missed our our filing deadline uh, to file a lawsuit as a 501c3 under CEQA. Um, and even if we had filed, there were no public comments in any of the plans to base a lawsuit on because the way CEQA works is you got to tell them what they're doing wrong and give them a chance to fix it during the public comment period. And if they don't fix it, that's when you get to sue them. Um, that and- seems reasonable, Matt, you know, it's like, that seems reasonable because the, the work has to go on. But I remember in February, they posted Casper during the COVID pandemic. Can you give yeah. a little bit on, yeah, I think that's important to touch upon. Yeah, so so they they were putting out this information right at the same time that the pandemic was really starting and everyone was sheltering in place in their homes. You know, now I think looking back, we think of the pandemic as a time when more people got outside. But in those very, very first few weeks and months, I don't know if you remember, but like everyone who was scared of getting sick stayed home. Like they didn't even leave their home. Well, it was a law. It was a law. You couldn't go a mile from, from your house. Right. And so, you know, if you're if you're Cal Fire and you're trying to tell the public about some new timber harvest plan and everyone is staying inside, right, maybe you should update uh, your system for doing that. Or maybe you should give them more time to respond, right? And Cal Fire never did any of that. Um, and so that, that window for commenting uh, passed by during that, that phase when everyone was inside. Do you recall how many days they posted that? I remember I got like a 10 day notice for the tribe for us to respond. Do you remember how yeah. many days? It's like I I think it was maybe a month total. The yeah. way the way it works is it the first version of the plan comes out and then there will usually be like 30 days of commenting and then they give you that 10 day cuz they make changes to it. They do like a second draft. And then they they give you that ten day notice when the second draft comes out, um, and you know I I think for any average person to read through a five hundred page document uh, in a month, right? Assuming you have a full time other job that you got to be doing, is pretty unreasonable. Um, you know, Epic can do it when we're really focused on a plan, but even mm-hmm. you know. Like there's a ton of timber harvest plans going by every day that we don't ever look at because there's just so many, um, and it would be like playing whack-a-mole. Um, I mean, that's how much they're cutting. Think about that. 
Yeah. We can't keep up on the paperwork that they're logging. That's how fast they're logging these forests over here in 2022. Yeah. You know, it's wild to me that in 2022 that our policymakers do not see that the practitioners on the ground, that the practitioners on the ground are misusing their policy, are hiding behind their legislators' ignorance, ignorance of not knowing what's happening in this forest to be able to continue to log for profit. Can you also talk about how what I think Chad figured this out, but I, as I started to get involved in June, uh, there was a lot of talk on how Cal Fire was actually logging just to fund their own administrative budget, not the budget to go out and do some work in the forest, but their administrative budget. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so so JDSF is very proud of the fact that until very recently, they've been self-funded, that you know they they make money from timber harvest sales and then use that money to fund all their work. But like you're saying, that includes both actual, you know, boots on the ground, like cutting trees down and creating new roads and uh, managing facilities. But then it also involves the people who, you know, they have office jobs where they're, they're like writing these timber harvest plans, right? And that can be kind of expensive. Um, and so sometimes it feels a little bit cyclical to me, right? Like it's like, We've got a log to pay the people to to make the plan to do the logging, right? And so when people talk about how much it would cost to manage Jackson, not as a timberland, like let's say it was like a state park or a you know a land where they do less cutting, the the cost on the actual administrative side would be so much less because there's so much less planning going on, right? Like the state gives a lot less money to our state parks because they aren't doing as much of that planning around logging um, than they do to these state forests. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think yeah, that's it's wild. Kind of yeah. It's wild. To, I mean, just think about the concept. If you have, and let's, I want to talk a little bit more about that budget. On the administration side, we, they extract our forest from Mendocino County not just to pay for this department over here in Mendocino County, but all of state. So all of Cal Fire's forestry department, this helps subsidize a big portion of their budget. No, there's no, there's, there's no boots on the ground over here like people want to think. They sub all their work out. So it's not as if all those employees you see driving around their trucks without a shovel, without a rake, without a saw, not picking up garbage. It's not as if they're doing a lot of work over there. They're really not. They sub all that kind of work out. And so for me, I look at it and say, it just makes, uh, this is one thing I say, <laughs> Republicans want to log for straight profit. I get it, against it. Democrats want to log to employ themselves, to employ their bureaucracy. And that's where I go, hey, wait a minute. Don't preach environmentalism, McGuire, Senator McGuire. Don't preach environmentalism, Assemblyman Wood. Don't preach environmentalism, Congressman Huffman. Preach it out there in the forest. Stop the state from extracting our resources in Mendocino County, our redwoods that do not get, we do not build homes anymore with these, with these redwoods. They go, to, they go overseas and then, they, and then they become decks. So we're extracting our resources for a whole nother country to, to, to even be able to utilize this material. Think about that. So they could subsidize themselves. And when I was over there in negotiations and I sit down and I'm with K 
Cal Fire Resources Agency. They got about 10 strong. And there was only two in there that have actually been out into that forest. And these were the two that were causing the problem. Conway, and I forget the other guy's name. But those two out there in the forest, I'm sitting here going, you rely on these two to decide what they're going to log. And then you think, because your oversight over here in Sacramento, that you understand what's happening. So what I realize is, no, you policymakers draft stuff on documents, but you have Cal Fire Forestry, not Cal Fire Firefighting. Let's get that straight. They're great. They know how to fight fires. We're talking about the forestry department, only 10% of their department. They don't know how to be foresters. They're not good at managing our forests. They're not good at stewards. They want to log. That's their, that's their strategy. So I, I never understood how a person that's going to write a, a uh, law, then the person that's supposed to regulate this law being Crowfoot, the Secretary of the California Natural Resources Agency, it's not the agency that actually verifies the work that's being done on the ground in our forest. It's actually Cal Fire Forestry that verifies their own work, implements their own work, submits their own bids on behalf of mills. And then the regulatory body sits in Sacramento. And then not only that, they have this bureaucracy to where you'll have a one star that submits these. They're, they're really military, you know, five, four, three, two, one star down to the trumpets. And they have this one star in there that talks about what we're going to do in the forest. And then you have the two, three, four, and five. They're verification processes. And I'll tell you, I could tell you for a fact, not any of them that sit at that table look like they go out in the forest or even walk long distances. I'm not sure they walk to and from their office, from their parking garage, to be honest with you. I know they're not out in that forest. I can see them. I know how they look. And I sit there and go, how do you verify one of the most important things in California are redwoods, the things we stand, you know, we, we advertise that. California advertises that. But the one thing, you're not even out there verifying that they're cutting down the wrong trees or too large, too big of trees. I never understood how anybody in, or any agency in their right mind could think you could get funded from logging the oldest redwoods and pay for your own salaries and not call that a conflict of interest of any kind. But let's just say there's no conflict. How are you going to do that right in the correct way, in an environmental way, when you know that your friend in Sacramento that's never been out to Mendocino County, has probably never been into a forest, your friend in Mendocino, that's in Sacramento's office gets paid on you logging. Of course they're not going to verify your work because you're logging to make sure they get paid. The system is whack, and we, and we have no representation when it comes from our locals. It's because they don't live here. They're not connected. So I don't expect them to stand up and do something righteous for this community. Remember, Assemblyman Wood lives in Hillsburg or down that area. He's not interested in our forest. McGuire, he's in Sonoma. He's not interested in our forest. Who's the other guy? Huffman, absent. Haven't seen him at all. He's not interested in our forest. These guys do everything they can to turn their backs on the community that is interested. And maybe, Matt, you could give people seem to think that the people protesting or speaking up are jobless and we have nothing else to do in our lives. Why don't you talk about some of the key people that you work with and some of their key titles? Like uh, John. Yeah. 
so John O'Brien is a climate scientist who uh, has been working on, uh, you know, his district, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting what all the scientists call their different things. Uh, he's been working on, you know, his research and he has a full-time job that he has to do. Uh, Chad Swimmer is a, a teacher at, at the local school. Um, uh, I'm blanking we have a botanist. We have a botanist. Yeah. Well, uh, um, Teresa Shoulders. Um, we've got, you know, we've got kids, right, who are in school and who, you know, they're striking from school some days, but they're right. doing it for a good reason, which is to make sure people know about what's going on. Right. Right. We have um, so many people. We have yeah. we have a great community. We also have lawyers like Matt, like Paulie Durbin, my mother, tribal elder. We have a lot of people that are connected to this land, a lot of people that are really engaged. And it just blows my mind how the state and then and remember a democratic, you know, we're supposed to be Democrats here and environmental first. And them, they believe that we are being, that we are radicals. I like the name radical, so I'm cool with it, you know? I mean, call me what you want. I kind of like it. You know, talking to people. Michael, can I take a moment and reintroduce the show? Yes, please. This is Pomo Perspective here on KZYX. Your host is Chairman Michael Hunter of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians. And Matt Simmons is also here. He's the staff attorney for the Environmental Protection Information Center. Matt, why don't you go ahead and finish the overview on kind of where we're at with uh, the community in Cal Fire and some of the uh, their mission, their vision statement they came out with lately, then also the uh, press release that they came out with that they're going to continue logging, even though there are negotiations with the with Coyote Valley. Yeah, so there was there was that pause right on logging, and it wasn't a moratorium, right? They never officially declared it or anything. It was just a, hey, we're going to stop logging while we do uh, consultation with the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians. They announced that uh, about six months ago. And, you know, I you were in those meetings uh, with uh, Secretary Crowfoot and Cal Fire, and you guys were, uh, you know, proposing your different visions for the forest and for what a co-management agreement would look like. You know, that, that was taking some time, but I think for that to be done right, it should take a little bit of time, right, for you guys to understand where you're coming from and what you're willing to do and not do. And then uh, in August, like the end of August, um, August 25th is when they announced the logging. I think the vision statement came out the week before that. So the week before August 25th, they released their vision statement for the future of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. And uh, that document was interesting. You know, it talked about a 48 minute, uh, sorry, 48 inch um, diameter limit. It uh, spared some of the largest trees in the Casper 500 area, like Gemini. Um, it also it had this idea of a, a tribal advisory group. So instead of the Jackson advisory group, which already exists, which is a body with no power that can tell Cal Fire when they're, you know, they can rubber stamp what Cal Fire wants. They wanted to make another group called the tribal advisory group, or I guess the tag uh, that would be made up of tribal members and would also be advisory and not have real power. 
So that's, you know, we've talked about this, Michael, that's not real co-management, right? Because that's not equal authority to make these decisions. It's just a, another form of consultation. Right. But so we, uh, okay. we paused. Let me, so we paused. We remember how we got this pause. This is what the community needs, needs to understand. We organized as a local community. We started with walks in the forest that started out with 75 people to the 150 people. Then we got a couple hundred people because then we started getting Native Americans out there dancing and singing. And we brought that. We, we also got over like 4,000 sig wet signatures from this district to let Senator McGuire, Wood, and Huffman know that you actually have the support in this community. We're, we're, you actually have, you can actually get votes here with this community. So we want to protect our forest. We got your back. We support you. We had a rally in Ukiah. We brought those wet signatures to Senator McGuire, Wood, and Huffman, which none of them showed up. We gave them way in advance. I don't know a politician that doesn't want to speak in front of an engaged audience on environmental issues. These guys did not want to speak on environmental issues in front of an engaged audience. That must tell you something. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm assuming you follow the dollars, you'll find out where the contributions come from. Cal Fire is one of the largest unions. Someone should follow those dollars because I bet you they're depending more on those money, on that money, than they are those four to 5,000 wet signatures. So then, as we started to build up our following, we went to the Sacramento Capitol and we had over 500 people at the same time. We rocked that place. And right before that, before that rally, it was a Friday, we, I got a call from Crowfoot's office, and I got a call from a friend of mine who's the assemblyman, James Ramos, the first California Native American um, assembly person, representative. And he said, hey, we want to get a meeting between you and Crowfoot. And I was like, I just don't know what my ask is yet, but we want a moratorium. So we had our rally, and we had these banners made up with Crowfoot's face on them next to clear cuts. I have a bunch of banners made with McGuire's, Woods, Huffman, you name them. They all have their face on them right on clear cuts of the stamp that says approved right by them. So I held off from bringing those to the rally because they called us beforehand. And ever since then, we've been in this pause, they call. We haven't started logging. So we want to let everybody know that, that we're winning. We're not losing. We're winning. We're winning. They haven't logged since. So all those, you know, all those emails, all those calls, all the petition gathering, the rallies, it, it played a major role. But just recently, like two weeks ago, Crowfoot and Cal Fire, out of the blue, send out a press release stating we're going to continue logging. So let me get this straight, Crowfoot. I'm at the table with you negotiating a new forest management plan, possibly in the future, a new co-management plan. And you think you could continue to log these old redwoods while I'm at your table. They tried to get me to sign an MOU before that press release came out. I didn't know the press release was coming out. They said, look at this. This is great. Look at this document. You're so, you're so included. Zero decision-making authorities. Zero. Zero. But what they wanted to do was tie me up to where I wouldn't be out there protesting with them or hosting rallies. And when I seen that press release go out, I said, oh, man, here we go. Here we go. The state isn't interested in solving, in solving what we solving the problem we have in our forest here. 
they're interested in trying to mitigate it and get through it. And if all you're trying to do is mitigate an issue and get through it, you're not resolving the problem for the future. And we're not here. I'm not doing this for this year. I don't put my time and energy. I'm the tribal chairman of Coyote Valley. In the last 10 years, we've built over 30 homes, community centers, new casino, new C-store, new gas station. The hotel will be done in June of next year. And we'll continue to grow. All while, I have to get out here and protest logging of our Pomo homelands, our sacred sites. I have a job. I do this because this is where my heart is. I do it because this is where my grandkids are going to live the rest of their lives. And I'll be damned if I'm going to allow these forest fires that continue helping it. I mean, happening out here. People don't realize that the reason your forests are starting on fire because the lightning hits kindling from all trees they cut down and left out there. If you go to pomolandback.com, you will see the videos. You will see the images that show you that this is all clear-cutted area in 2022. And I, I, I just blows me away. It blows me away on how engaged our policymakers are, our regulatory bodies are not. They're just not at the table. They don't want to be at the table. And I can only assume that they get donations. That's what it has to be. Someone has to look that up. Let's look up what the donations, how much does Crowfoot, how much does McGuire, how much does Huffman, but most importantly, how much does the National or the California Democratic Caucus get for this? from um, uh, Cal Fires Union. I wonder, because they really are running our county and our representatives are absent. And I'll, I'll say, Michael, it's not just Cal Fire, it's the timber companies that are buying the wood that you know they're cutting down, right? So it's Mendocino Redwood Company. It's those guys are also big dollar donors. To- are they big dollar donors? Do they donate politically? Yeah, they definitely oh, do. Yeah. yeah, see, there you go. So think about this. The people that are accepting the money from the mills, your legislators, your statewide Democratic caucus, the people that are accepting the money and the people that are given the legislators money, which is the mills, the people that are, and Cal Fire, giving them money are in cahoots together. And they want the community and they want people to believe that we, Coyote Valley, the local community, that we, are the ones not being responsible, that we are the ones that have a conflict of interest. Every time I'm at that table with them, I tell them, I say, you have to remember that I am the only one at this table, me and my two partners, are the only ones at this table that do not get paid from this force or the state of California or do not rely on political contributions to get reelected. That's why I don't have a conflict of interest. That's why when I know if I look at a document that um, is going to affect our forest, that I look at it with a different lens than they do. I don't look at it to get budget. I don't look at it to get funded for anything. All that we are trying to do as our community and the tribe is protect those forests. Nothing else. We're not trying to extract it for money. But somehow, some way, the state is willing with Cal Fire to turn against the local community in Mendocino County and pretend that we, that the locals here, are the ones that are out of their mind when we are the only ones that are not conflicted. Think about that. There's a reason McGuire has not showed up to any of the rallies. 
There's a reason McGuire is not even mentioning co-management. He has McGuire and Wood and Huffman have more tribes in their districts than any other district in California. And not one of them has mentioned co-management agreement with the tribes and the state of California. Not one. You want to know why? Because they don't want tribes to co-manage that forest. You want to know why? Because the mills pay them money to get reelected. Cal Fire Union pays them money to get reelected. So they turn their backs on you. But that's okay. I'm okay with people walking away and turn their backs on me. That happens to me all the time. I'm a leader. I got to lead whether you turn your back on me or not. Just get out of my way. What I don't like is when they turn around and tell me that we're wrong, that we're the bad people. You think cutting, you think us defending a 200-year-old redwood tree is a bad thing. That's wild. That's pioneer thinking. I call that list. I call that lineal descendancy pioneer thinking. Let's just think about this. My great-grandmother was the one that got moved from the forest when they were clear-cutting in the 1850s. My great-grandmother's, my great-grandmother's parents. Literally, my great-grandmother's parents, who I lived with until I was 18, were the ones that got moved out of the redwoods because big saws were coming in and cutting old-growth trees. Literally. That's my lineal descendancy. So I come from... Uh, I come from a bloodline that's been pushed out. And now this bloodline is trying to protect the little bit that that's still there. And finally, the community's engaged, the state's engaged. And now we're trying to protect our sacred sites that are in, these, in this Jackson demonstration state forest. And we're working hard to do it. Now I'm talking to people where their lineal descendancy comes from the guy that actually logged that tree that pushed my great-grandmother's parents out. Logged it. Literally, 1850, logged it. It's hard to ask these representatives to self-reflect when they people that they held so greatly on these pedestals, so great, they're the greatest people. Look what they've done. Now they see what they've done. But in order for them to self-reflect, they have to recognize it was their grandparents. It was their grandparents' parents that did this to the natives. It was their grandparents' parents that logged 94%, 94% of the old growth redwoods, 94, we only have 6% left. They can't self-reflect because they have to look in the mirror and they have to say, that was my family that did that. How do you, you know, I go into the court, the judge, I go to these courthouses and you see nothing but uh, non-Indians on these walls. And it's all men, it's all white men on these walls for, for years. And I sit there and go, that was your leadership that allowed you to industrialize probably the most profitable area in California because we could have done way better things with our redwood forests than just log them and now have to pay billions of dollars to fight fires because when they logged them, they left everything out there but the big tree. And now that's what's on fire. And they're continuing to do that in 2022. That's what they want to do. And that's what we have to convince the community. You guys have to stand up. Just, you know, you guys, now's your time. Maybe it wasn't time 10, 20 years ago, but now is the time because you have your legislators saying they are for environmentalism. Now we have to hold them to it. We have to push them because they're scared. Remember, they're part of, they're part of the people that, that did this to us. So they don't want to claim how bad it was. So we have to come together as a community. 
And when was the date again, Matt, for the 28th rally in Sacramento? Can you please recap on that? Yeah, September 28th, uh, we're going to be meeting at around 11 a.m. outside of the uh, CNRA headquarters. They, they just got a new headquarter building. It's on P Street in Sacramento. Uh, you can see the flyer on the SaveJackson.org website and I think maybe the PomoLandback.com website too. And we're going to be we're going to be having a rally outside while they're all partying inside right. and celebrating the 30 by 30 kickoff. Um, and I think it's going to be a really eye opening, uh, hopefully for Crowfoot, but also for all the people that he's invited to his party. Right. Right. To see, oh, you guys are talking about one thing, but who are all these people outside who are protesting you? Right. right. Who, are, who are all these people, you know, folks from the tribe, folks from the local community? who drove all the way to Sacramento uh, to make sure that their voice was heard because people aren't listening to them when they're on the coast, uh, you know, or standing in front of a tree, right? It gets sort of shoved under the rug, but we're going right to where they work, you know, and and making sure they hear us. Right. Um, Think about this community. Secretary Crowfoot is having a 30 by 30 party to where he's going to tout how great he's doing, how great they're doing. We're going to be there in their front office to let everybody know that passes through there. We need to have protests probably on both sides of that office because they'll come to the back, too. We're going to be there to let them know that they are still clear-cutting in 2022. They're trying to clear-cut in 2022. So how can you have a party knowing you're doing that? That's what we're going to do. You know what? I've I've tried to – I've been in the middle because I'm – trying to make sure I'm at the table with the state so I can negotiate um, a better future for that forest, a a new forest management plan. But the way I got there is by hosting rallies. These aren't protests like you think. These are rallies. When I was in, I was going through a hard time in my life and I started to travel a little and I got out, I didn't get out of town, you know, it's a hard time in my life. And I went to Hawaii and I just sat there for days and days shedding and trying to regroup myself. And it was, it was kind of at that moment when I started following the Mauna Kea movement that they're having in Hawaii to stop them from building that satellite or one of their sacred, sacred, most sacred um, hilltops. And I was really engaged with it because I was in Hawaii. So I started going to these uh, rallies and things they started doing as I'm out there. Because I still wanted, still wanted to stay engaged. I didn't want to lose my mind. I wanted to stay engaged. But I wanted to be in a different topic so I could have a fresh mind. And what I watched and witnessed was they don't protest with anger. They stand together and I call it a gathering and they come together and they sing songs and they pray and they educate. And that's what we're doing. We're not, you don't see us out there all getting arrested and doing crazy things and doing those kind of things. Now that doesn't mean we won't You piss <laughs> us off. You piss me off too much. I might be out there getting arrested, you know? And so, so that doesn't mean we won't because that's one of the most proudest things I, I, I have. You know, I, I know what, when to take a stand and plant my two feet and move forward. So I decided that when we do our rallies, we're going to bring in culture. We're going to bring in singers from the local communities. And what we do when we have our rallies is we come together as a as family. Like we really are. We fight like family too, just so you know. But we also know that the, the forest comes first. 
so we have a high tolerance and we get through our squabbles because we're working on changing Mendocino County. We're really working on changing California, you know, but we're working hard. So it's big issues. It's, com- it's complicated. It's a lot of things we have to do together. But we come together, we sing, we dance, and we tell people, we pray a lot, and we tell people what we're doing in our forest. And so come out, join us. Like I said, you, you don't have to have a picket sign. You don't have to do any of that. Just stand there, be a witness, be counted. Watch, enjoy, hang out with us. We're fun. I guarantee it. We're fun. You know, so just so you know, I'm going to come on the 28th too. I'm going to be there. I'm tired of waiting to see if, yeah, I'm tired of waiting to see if Crowfoot's going to call me. He hasn't called since the, uh, since uh, the community started the rallies. So it's obvious he doesn't need me at his table. He doesn't want me at his table. So I might as well go back and start organizing rallies with you guys. I'll be there September 28th at 11 a.m. I'll get that 930 because we're going to have coffee and hang out. But at 11 a.m., 11 to 3, we're going to try to get as many people as we can over there to let Crowfoot know that we do not approve of his, of, of his policy. We do not approve that. He believes Crowfoot told me, I said, Crowfoot, why not put Jackson Demonstration State Forest, the largest state forest, almost 50,000 acres, into the 30 by 30? And he said it's because we are doing so many great things on testing. And I asked him, can you name one of the tests that you've done that I could go look up and see how well it was done? And he couldn't name one. (laughs) Matt, do you want to talk about the testing a little bit that they claim they're doing out there? Yeah. Um, So I've actually done a lot of research on this, and I'm going to have a report out uh, pretty soon. So this is uh, something you can all look out for if you follow Epic and our work. And I'm sure we'll post it on Save Jackson and Pomo Landback, too. Jackson, uh, they do do a little bit of research in Jackson. A lot of the times, it's like a forestry student. You know, you, you go to college and get your forestry degree, and they'll do their thesis project in Jackson. So they go, they'll cut down a few trees and say, oh, look, these other trees grew a little bit faster right after we cut down the trees next to them. Or, oh, these trees didn't grow faster right after we cut them. But they, they do, like, a one-off project, right? Like, you know, I, I'm not knocking on college but like if you just do one study quick and then never come back to that piece of land ever again you're not gathering super useful data there's one exception to that that i've found and it's called the casper creek watershed study and basically what they did there is they clear cut those are those clear cuts you've seen michael they clear cut all that land in the casper watershed and then they measured how dirty the water got underneath in the casper creek and they said, look, we proved that clear cutting is bad for water. And they did this in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and they kept doing it over and over and over again. And they're still doing it. And it's like, we get it, guys. We've known that clear cutting is bad for water quality. You Like, thank you for doing it maybe back in the 70s. Like, maybe all the way back then when, when even then we knew, but like back then we just needed like numbers to to make the people actually agree to it. But this idea that you still need to do this work to prove this or that you still need to be logging new trees and that you can't use the places that they've already logged, right? Because they've already logged almost all this forest at least once or twice or three times. The idea that you need to be doing new logging to get new kinds of forests to study is just totally absurd to me. That was was my question in Chamberlain Creek because when we walked to the KZYX news team out there, it's just a clear cut. 
and yeah. it, and we asked the the people who'd written the plan and the scientist from Humboldt State who's involved in that one, what are you learning out here? What are you studying? And the answer was how redwoods regenerate after a clear cut. And we know really, really well. There's there's hundreds of thousands of acres throughout yeah. the region that they could look at, but yet they had to do another clear cut, which just happens to create merchantable timber that they yeah. can sell. And you have to wonder about uh, this profit margin or this profit motive in this research out at JDSF. And um, yeah, it was. And they're still logging out at Chamberlain Creek. That was one of the plans that they restarted um in the last couple of weeks yeah, let me touch that, on that matt <clears throat> did you know that in chamberlain is chamberlain is part of the jackson demonstration state forest it's a thp out there so we refer to these names chamberlain thp secretary crowfoot told me in one of our negotiations we believe that we shouldn't cut anything less than 48 inches or more than 48 inches and i was like what where did you come up with this number? I never, ever heard this number before. I'm like, what is this number he's coming up with? There's no, they call them protective alder trees or something like that. They, potential, there's potential alder trees, potential, not even alder trees yet, potential alder trees that they're going to become alder trees. There's none left in Chamberlain because they logged them all. Yeah. Is that wild? that you're coming up with a policy after the fact of they logged it all. Like, your policy doesn't even protect any of these trees over in Chamberlain because you logged them all. Because they're gone. And they also hacked, oh. hacked and squirted the oaks that were left. And please explain to anyone why we need to study hack and squirting. Oh, yeah, check this out. If we're doing hack and squirt, I mean... You don't think if you spray hack and squirt on top of hills that the water doesn't run down and then go into your water supply, you're stupid. You're just stupid. Yeah, and it's, I don't care. It makes zero sense, right? I mean, it violates county law, right? The, the county state, law. The state is violating Mendocino's law that was passed in Measure V that said no more hack and squirt, right? And we've talked to Cal Fire about this a number of times, and they've just sort of said, oh, well, you know, there's legal uh, people disagree about whether the county actually has that authority. But I've got, you know, the attorney general's letter saying that he actually does think that the, the state has that authority or sorry, that the county has that authority. So, you know, that's well, why, aren't, why is a Senator McGuire? I mean, he's the policymaker. Why isn't Assemblyman Wood, Congressman Huffman? Why aren't they protecting the laws that we voted on in our county? These are the laws we voted on in our county. We said we no longer want you to spray hack and squirt on <laughs> in our forest because it's running into our waters, killing our fish, and getting it out to our ocean. It's just common sense. Common sense. We don't want you to do that. We're going to go out and work hard to get the community educated to, to vote against this. We got everybody to vote against this. And now we, Cal Fire said, yeah, but it's not a state law. That's just a local law. It's just a local law. Well, then who represent us on local laws? Isn't it Assemblyman Wood? Isn't it Senator McGuire? Aren't they the ones that say, hey, wait a minute. No, I represent this county, and they voted this. Tell me why your way of doing Hackens Court is better than what our county is saying no to. He doesn't even ask those simple questions. It's because they just don't even know. They're not even knowledgeable on it. They want to put their heads in this book of policy and pretend like they're doing good work. You can write any policy you want. It doesn't matter. 
If your practitioners on the ground do not believe in your policy, they're going to do what they want to do. And if you don't verify being Secretary Crowfoot, the California Natural Resources Agency, the regulatory body, if you don't verify that the work is getting done according to policy, they're going to do what they want. And that's where we're at. And now what we have is Secretary Crowfoot realizing that he did not do anything to make sure that our forests weren't being clear-cutted. And then when we brought it to his attention, he's in the position of trying to mitigate. That's not a leader. Mitigation doesn't do anything. It solves the issue for now. That's not leading. These guys need to step up and be leaders in our community. Leaders in our community becomes you become the most knowledgeable. You try your best to become the most knowledgeable because you're leading. You have to be able to speak on behalf of the people you're leading. They don't know. They're ignorant. And they would prefer to be ignorant because then they won't be challenged. But what it all comes down to is the money. If you're getting paid a lot of money from Cal Fire's union, and if you're getting paid a lot of money from the mills, you're going to ignore laws that Mendocino County citizens made for our county. That's why they ignore it, because they want the money, and all they want to do is get elected. That's the difference between a politician and a leader. A politician works to get elected. Bad, bad. That's just not even good. Never works. <clears throat> a leader is leading. It's not trying to get elected, trying to move up to a different title. In my mind, I'm the tribal chairman of Coyote Valley Band of Pomoyans. That's the highest title. I don't want any other title. I, I, I'm where I at, where I want to be with my tribal government. I'm not trying to be in your guys' government, outside my government. So I know where I'm at. And so I'm leading. I'm just very disappointed that our representatives aren't standing side to side. I would have stood with them. I told them at the beginning, I got all the tribes in Mendocino County to write a letter saying, hey, we want to have co-management because we want to stop clear-cutting this forest. He ignored it. They ignored it. I got the California Tribal Chairpersons Association, all the tribes in California, to do the same. He ignored it, both of them. They didn't want nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. And I said, hey, I will follow you. I'm doing this privately, a lot of stuff, because I want to give them the platform. I want to let them know that I'm behind them. I will follow them. I will be their, their support. They didn't want it because we found out they're actually facing towards us. They are the state. They are the representatives that is doing this to our county. And then they want to convince others that they're not doing it, that they're trying their best. And we can't even get them to protect the very law that we passed in Mendocino County to not hack and squirt. Think about that. The very law that we practiced, that we passed, they will not protect. But what liaison are you? What are you? Are you in between the local community and the tribes and the state to represent us? Or are you more between the state and the mills? And we're just a nuisance to you. I think we're just a nuisance to them. Yeah, so... I, I totally agree with you, Michael, and I, I think we need to show them how much people care and, and be a, as big a nuisance as we can right. so that they listen to us. And uh, I want to repeat the call for folks to come to Sacramento on the 28th. If you don't want to drive, uh, Chad Swimmer is organizing some uh, shuttles over from both Fort Bragg uh, and Ukiah. And, and I think if you contact us at savejackson.org, uh, or you can just contact me directly at matt at wildcalifornia.org. That's my email address. Um, we'll get you hooked up with the, with the shuttle 
so that you don't have to drive over. And, you know, I, I think we got to show them that we can get a lot of folks over to Sacramento like we did last time. Uh, make sure they know that this isn't just an issue that's going to stay on the coast and, and stay behind the Redwood Curtain. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I'm i looking forward to seeing everyone there. I'm looking forward to seeing you there, Michael. And I'm looking forward to seeing the folks who are listening to this there because uh, we need to stand together um in sacramento and i liked i liked what you said it's the gathering it's a we're gonna sing and pray and we'll just let them know that what they're doing educate is yeah yeah i'm just gonna educate well i mean our, ours is based off of facts it's not based off of myths so we have to educate 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 do you guys um do you see a real possibility for the policy in jackson changing if people show up i mean people have been coming out for a year or so a little bit more year and a half and a lot has happened but do are we at a point right now where people really could affect what happens in jackson or do you think cal fire and the state have made up their mind and they're just gonna try to spin it from here on out i i absolutely think we can affect and i think the thing to remember is that it's not an on-off switch right it's not it's not right. either protected or not right every single you know, if we get them from 48 inches down to 36, down to 24, like every single change we make is, can be positive or negative. And it's, it's all about pressure and it's all about making sure that they know that the community is invested. And, you know, I think this is actually a really good opportunity for you to affect your local area. Yeah. And, and really make a change that you'll be able to see on the ground. Remember, we haven't, there hasn't been logging since. Yeah. So our we've we've been heard. There hasn't been logging since even since the press release they put out because the community has been aggressive getting out there, showing rally after rally after rally after rally to let them know that the community could do this without me, without without the tribes right now, while without my leadership, the community is doing it regardless. And they're seeing that. And they haven't started logging. So in my mind, we're trying to get to winter, because they can't log during the winter for special reasons. So in my mind, our goal is to delay, 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 get them to realize that if you pull that trigger to log, that you're actually making it worse for everybody, especially the environment, right? So for us, I want to close this up a little bit and recap. Right now, we created a GoFundMe account, and it's on pomolandback.com, and that's a legal, legislative, and media. Our goal is to build up a war chest for legal, a war chest for legislative, so we can put this in the 30 by 30, or change the demonstration mandate, which is to log one of those other two. But also, right now, we have to do media because we have to get engagement. We have to get people showing up to these rallies. All you have to do is go to Sacramento and be counted and be a witness. And if you want to, hang out with some great people that are engaged, doing great things in their community that are engaged. So for me, it's a matter of how do we stop them from logging right now? And then in the wintertime, how do we prepare for, if we could raise the money, for a legal and a legislative fix? And then going into the new year, probably in April, you know, because they have the uh, spotted owl, I think in April or something is when, when they started to try to start logging again. So once we get to April, we'll have a war chest prepared. We'll have, we'll have a lot of us over there uh, educating the representatives. We'll have a lot of rallies. We need to be able to do all of these things. And right now, I personally fund a lot of it. A lot of people personally fund a lot of it. The people that are engaged in doing the rallies and the gatherings, we fund our own. 
because it's it's hard. It's nobody, you know, it's hard to raise money. But if there's a time to to think that putting your money is is in a place for the environment where we're going to win, we already showed you. They haven't logged since. So we're showing you the pathway forward. It's just a matter of joining us. And how do we get you engaged? And remember, this isn't a one-day battle. This is continued. We have to work, work, work. This is the real work. And a lot of us are prepared to do the real work, which means the writing, the reading, and the analyzing, and educating. But we need you guys. We need our community to be engaged. We need our community to bring your children so they can recognize the difference and move and help us move this movement forward. It's a movement that you want to be involved with. And I think that's about it for us. All right. And Matt, did you want to announce the epic annual? Yeah, I just want to let everyone know Epic is having our fall celebration on October 8th uh, from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Southern Humboldt Community Center in Redway. Uh, We're going to be giving the Semper Virens Achievement Award to Michael's mom, Priscilla Hunter, and Polly Gervin. Uh, So please uh, make the trip up to Redway. Uh, We'll meet in the middle. And we can all celebrate, uh, you know, all the work that Epic's been doing and especially the work in GDSF and the work that uh, Priscilla Hunter and Polly have done throughout their entire lives, just doing incredible work. Uh, so I, I hope to see folks there. All right. Well, this has been Pomo Perspective, hosted by Chairman Michael Hunter of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians, uh, with Matt Simmons, staff attorney for the Environmental Protection Information Center. I'm Alicia Bales, your engineer this morning. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Any last words, Michael? Uh, Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be. I've been more inspired about being a part of this community than ever. Excited. All right. With that, have a fabulous Monday, everyone, and thanks for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.